Church family, let's pray the Lord's Prayer and then let's get into the Word. How about it? Awesome. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now let's just take here a couple of minutes and allow the Holy Spirit to highlight any part of that prayer that is very specific to where you're at right now. Maybe he wants to elevate his names to you. Maybe he wants to move on your heart in intercession to pray for his kingdom in the sphere of influence and authority that you have. Maybe, um, maybe the petition of your daily bread is what is very prominent right now. Whatever it is that God is highlighting, maybe there's someone you need to forgive. Maybe there's forgiveness you need to receive. Holy Spirit, we just invite you right now, highlight whatever part of this perfect prayer you want in our hearts, in our lives. Father, we thank you that this prayer is not just something that we recite. It's not just something that we do as a religious tradition. It's a pattern, it's a model, it's a tool to guide us into deeper fellowship and discussion, to guide us into deeper prayer to deeper intercession, to deeper enrich your communion with you. Father, we thank you for that. We recognize that the prayer that you have taught us to pray is a complete prayer because it is a window that opens, it's a door that opens us into so many other kingdom dynamics. And Father, I pray that as you continue to lead and walk and guide this house into the riches of prayer. Father, I pray that outside of this Sunday morning that our prayer lives would just explode. Father, I pray that our times with you, Father, that they would just be full, 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 full of intimate encounters with the Holy Spirit. That revelation would explode, that hearts would become clean and healed and whole, that our understanding of who you are grows, that our ability to participate and partner with the Spirit of God in bringing your kingdom into the earth, that it gets stronger. And God, that we just begin to become even more passionate and more engaged with bringing your kingdom to the earth in prayer and in action. I pray these things today in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to do something a little unorthodox this morning. And uh, I'm going to ask that you turn with me to Matthew 18. And we're going to have a little sermon before the sermon. Because <clears throat> uh, y'all, y'all weren't helping my friend over there well enough. He was up here, man. He was pouring it out. He was preaching, he was getting some incredible analogies and we just sitting there looking at him like, all right, let's see what else you can give me. And uh, you know, something just, something just hit my heart. I was, I was actually earlier in the week, I was uh, at this particular chapter in my daily Bible reading in Matthew chapter 18, we're gonna look at verse 21 and we're gonna read this entire story. It's a good one and I think it's relevant to all of us this morning. Verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And I love this, I love this. He's like, shall I forgive him like, like seven times? You know, like it's over five, but not quite 10. 10's like way too many times. You keep doing the same knucklehead stuff seven, ten, you know, 10 times in a row, you are disqualified. But I'll give you seven. I'll give you seven. I'll let you, I'll let you do something, you know, seven times. I'll let you foul me seven times. After that, you out the game. All right? Look, look at what Jesus, I love it. Jesus is like, hey, Peter. I, I think he sighed. I think he sighed. He's probably like, Peter, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And there are some actually translations that say 70 times seven. 70 times seven. The idea here is there, there, there really is no limit. There's no limit to the amount of forgiveness that should be flowing in our heart towards someone. Now, this doesn't mean that we become doormats and become abused and allow people to just run over us. It doesn't mean that we can't live without boundaries. It doesn't mean that we trust people that harm us, but it means that as it relates to us, 
that we take the initiative and the ownership to keep a clean heart. And because freely we have received, freely we give. Out of the overflow of what God has done inside of our lives, we give freely. We give freely everything in the Christian life, guys, everything, everything is a response. You know what that means? It means that something has first happened to us, everything, our giving, our dancing, our shouting, our saying amen, our reading of the word, everything is a response to something that's already been done for us. We don't initiate, we respond. And here's this incredible story. For those of you guys who haven't heard it, get ready. Verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven, and we're talking about what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of heaven? He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And the little footnote in my Bible, it's under a italic F and it says, <laughs> it says it's about a million dollars. So imagine if you owed someone a million dollars, all right? Yeah, small potatoes, no big deal. And he says here, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, about a million dollars was brought to him. And since he was obviously not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and their dog and I read that into that. And all that he had, all of his possessions, his Xbox, his fresh J's, everything that he had, the kitchen aid, everything you have now belongs to me because you ain't got my money. You need to give me what I gave you and you spent it and you broke and now I want you to pay up. That's, that's what's happening right here, Okay. And the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. I don't know when or how, but he, he, he got him. And the servant's master took pity on him. He had mercy. And watch this, he canceled the debt. You know what the word forgiveness means? It means to cancel the debt. To cancel the debt. To cancel the debt. I got a, I got a gal named Sally. And for those of you guys who are schools, who, who've gone to university, her name is Sally, last name is May. And I just wish that Sally would forgive me and cancel my debt of all those dollars I borrowed from Sally so that I could act like I was smart up here from time to time. Help me, Lord. Sally, have mercy on me. I promise I'll, I'll just cancel your debt. Thank you. Thank you. No more payments. You know, know what, listen, when you have forgiven someone, it means they don't have to make you payments anymore. Y'all, so y'all ought to catch that. They don't owe you anything. They don't owe you anything. Whatever they took from you, the dignity, the self-respect, the honor, whatever that was stolen from you, that opportunity, that job position, that title, that recognition that was taken from you, they don't owe you when you've really canceled the debt. No more payments. No more payments. And here's why I can say that. Because the king in this story is a very real king. This isn't some fictitious story that's made up. Jesus is telling a story about himself as the perfect king who has forgiven everything. He has canceled the debt that we could not pay ourselves. We could not pay it. Absolutely impossible. We're going to talk about that a little bit today of the debt that we accrued that we absolutely could not pay. As it is right now in the given salary that I have, if I were to work and even if I were to work overtime my entire life, and even if my kids were to work at the same going rate that I'm paying for, there is no way that they could pay off a million dollars. No way, no way. And actually, we could elevate this number. The number's arbitrary. The, the, fact, the point is that it's a number that is beyond your ability to do anything about because it actually represents the price that we have to pay him for our blatant, rebellious, offensive sin against him. Can't pay it back, all right? But here's what, so it's all on him now. It's all on the goodness and the mercy and the kindness of the king. 
There's not amount of, there's no amount of works. I can't knock on enough doors. I can't pass out enough tracks. I can't go on enough mission trips. I can't give enough money. I can't say enough Hail Marys or Our Fathers. I can't be in a house of prayer long enough. I can't, do, I can't fast and do away with enough meals to actually satisfy the debt that I accrued against this king. It's all on him. So my salvation, your salvation, our entrance into the kingdom is 1,000% contingent upon the loving kindness and the tender mercy and the goodness of our God. Yeah, come on, clap your hands to the Lord this morning. And so it says, man, this right here, boy, this is just like us, isn't it? So the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Verse 29, but 28, boy, these numbers look small up here. (laughs) What is going on? Lord, heal my eyes. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. And my little manuscript at the bottom of my Bible says a few dollars. A few dollars. A few dollars. Okay, we're clear on the analogy here, right? I owed a million the king forgave me. Seth borrowed a couple of dollars to go buy a cup of coffee and I am hounding him. Where are, where are my three dollars at, Seth? I gotta pay back the king a million dollars. I need every dollar counts. Give me my three dollars back. Now what's, I know Seth, so irresponsible. So watch this, this is crazy. He grabbed him. I should do a visual up here and choked him. He choked a, a, a servant. He choked a servant. He choked him. And he says, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Look at verse 29. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me. This sounds eerily familiar. I've seen this somewhere before. Oh yeah, it's the, that's the same thing that he did. The exact same words fell to his knees. Be patient with me, I will pay back. Look at this, he refused. Instead he went off and he had the man thrown in a prison until he could pay those $3 back. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they're like, I'm gonna tell on you. And they did. And they told their master everything that happened. And the master called the servant in. He said, you wicked servant. I canceled all of that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Uh, I really don't know why I read that this morning. It's just a really good story. (laughs) The point of this story is obviously the small, small, small dollars of personal offense that someone makes towards us compared to the, the amount that we could never pay back. That's the whole point of the story. So Jesus is saying, I'm the king. I forgave you amount you can never repay. And so now it don't matter what anyone has done to you. It really don't matter because I forgave you a debt that you could not pay. You gotta forgive them. You gotta do it, okay? But here's the point that I wanna bring out this morning. The point that I wanna bring out is it's good to remember how much you owed. That's the, that's just, just the sermon before the sermon real quick is, you know, I think sometimes we forget. We forget that a debt that was insurmountable was paid for us. And we just roll up in here like entitled, like nothing, like nothing was forgiven at all. We roll up in here like he ought to be paying us. Okay, and here's the thing. Your, your revelation, don't, this is the part, if you're gonna take notes, this is the part to write down. Your revelation must supersede your convenience. It it must supersede your convenience. Your revelation of his goodness, your revelation of his kindness, your revelation of his mercy and the great extent of the atoning work of the cross, that has got to supersede convenience. 
It's got to supersede, well, I really don't feel like this right now. It's got to supersede personality. It's gotta, it, has to, it has to go above and beyond everything that would excuse us from giving what is justly and rightly due to him. Are you guys hearing me this morning? Overflow, 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 overflow. Do you know why we give thanks? We give thanks out of the overflow of the revelation of how deeply the debt was paid for our lives. And it don't matter. It honestly don't matter. If we don't feel like it, we don't like it, we feel stupid, we look dumb. It don't, it don't matter because of the deep revelation. He paid millions off, right? And if just in the natural, in the natural, if someone did that for you, if someone rolled up to you and said, hey, I'm gonna pay off all your credit card debt, I'm gonna pay off your house, I'm gonna pay off your car, every time you see that person, you know what you'd be mindful of? You wouldn't forget. You would never forget. Come on, right? Never. You would not ever forget if someone rolled up and just paid off your home. A house, a few dollars compared to the fullness of the kingdom that you've entered into. All right, we preaching this morning about the kingdom of God that has come and how do we pray for his kingdom to come? And one of the ways that we pray into that is really by understanding what was lost, what was lost, what was taken from us, and then understanding that because of the inauguration of the kingdom, that when Christ came to the earth, and particularly when he died and rose again, the, inaugurate, the beginning of his kingdom coming to the earth began right there, which means that everything we lost began to be restored. And I'm using the word begin on a very, very intentional level. So go with me to Genesis chapter one. If you don't know what was lost, if you don't know what was stolen, if you don't know what was taken from you, it's very hard to make demands for that retribution, right? In the Old Testament, there was actually a law that if someone stole for you and he was caught, that he had to pay back seven times. But if you didn't itemize what was taken from you, 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 had, you had no grounds to say, hey, this was taken. This, this was stolen from me. I need to have it returned, right? All right, Genesis chapter one, we're gonna have a little fun this morning. Hey, if we're gonna follow Jesus, we might as well have a good time. And not, 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 you know, not, a, not just silly and meaningless, but just a, a pure joy because of the life that we now have in Christ. All right, Genesis chapter one. If you're new to the scriptures, chapter one of the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, it's all about the story of how God created this world, the earth. And prior to him creating this earth, the Bible says in Genesis 1, 1, chapter one, verse one, that he created the heavens. So he created the heavens, which was, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, it was his kingdom where he reigns and where he rules and out of the overflow or the extension of his kingdom, then he created the earth. The physical, tangible world that we live in, God created that. And he created that to be an extension of his kingdom on the earth. All right, so, and he, so this is the thing that we, we kind of miss. We miss that within the creation story, when his kingdom was unaltered, before his kingdom was damaged and before his kingdom, was, before there was trespass against the king, before the, the, the keys of authority were handed over to another ruler, before that happened, there were actually some really amazing things that were going on. Those are things that belong to us. Those are things that he created for us. Let's look at them. Genesis chapter one, verse 26. And I'm just gonna go very, very quickly and, and map out all these things. And then we're gonna go back and talk about how they've been restored because these are things that were given to us and then they were lost. Number one, the image of God. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, one of the things that is inherent within the kingdom of God is the image of God in God's people. The image of God. Genesis chapter one, verse 26 God says, let us, meaning the Trinity of Father and Son and Holy Spirit, let us make man, you, me, all of humanity, let us make man in our image, in our image. Let me just pause right here and just say this, kind of just sow a seed. If we could just get the doctrine of imago Dei, 
Imago Dei is the image of God. If we could just really get that deep in our hearts and in our minds and in our biblical worldview and in our understanding of why this is so important, we would just see a lot of things in the culture go away. A lot of things that we're so, you know, worked up about and rightly so, those things would just go away if there was a deep biblical worldview of the very fact that God stamped his very image into the spirit and soul and body of mankind. We look like our father. We're created in his image. We have been given the unique and the unique and special privilege of showing the world what God looks like. No other, no other creature, no other, no other entity on the planet has been given the incredible mandate to reflect to the world what God looks like. It's amazing. Imago Dei, understanding the image of God inside of us. And again, I don't have time to really unpack this, but I just want you to know that in the kingdom of God, his people look like him, right? His people look like him. We reflect him. Now, let me ask you this. If I were to spend 24 hours with you, could you say, and maybe more importantly, could I say, that everything that you did reflected and represented who God is. Maybe? Yes, no? <laughs> She's like. How the, all, the, all the moms of young ones, let me ask you. <laughs> huh? No, no, absolutely not. And why is that? Because the image of God it was marred. It wasn't completely taken away. It wasn't completely stolen, but it was marred. All right? It was messed up. And a great analogy here is if we had an original Rembrandt or an, an original Van Gogh or an original painting of someone, and it's amazing. Those things are millions of dollars, right? The originals are millions of dollars. And we just threw that thing right up here on a nice easel and put little lights on it and put that thing on display. And then we just took a big bucket of paint and just started just nah, all over that original masterpiece. That would be an incredible analogy of the image that's still there, the image that was created with such strategic wisdom and artistic beauty is there displaying this creative wonder right? That's us. That's us. And then when the kingdom of God, when we removed ourselves from the kingdom and we handed that authority over to the devil, that picture, that image inside of us, it was marred. It was marred by sin. Like splash and black paint all over an incredible, beautiful masterpiece. Image of God inside of us was given. It was also taken. Number two, the authority to rule. Look at Genesis chapter one, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image, our likeness. Let them rule. Let them have dominion. Let them have authority. And go to the message on Palm Sunday and you're gonna hear just an explanation of power and authority and why authority is so important as sons and daughters in the kingdom. We were given the legal right, the legal permission to bring the will of God, the power of God into the earth. Legally, not illegally, legally, we have the permission from God. That's what authority is. That was given to us. And then when the kingdom was lost, that was removed from us. Number three, blessing, blessing. We were created with blessing. We were created in blessing. The blessing of God was slapped up on our lives. Look right here, if you would, verse 27. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 28, God blessed them. Do you know that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of blessing? Now, I'm not talking about, I know this, this gets a little whack and it gets a little off course and we, we try to make the blessing of God all about us and everything that we want and, and we, we equate blessing with jets and, okay, no, I'm talking about the supernatural approval 
and the supernatural substance of God. The blessing of God, listen, it is a substance of God that can be transferred. That's why you look at some people's lives and you're like, why is it? There's just favor. There's just, there's just things just are moving in your favor. What is that? The, the blessing of God is something that can be placed on someone. All right? It is a thing. The blessing is a thing. You don't think, you don't think I'm right? Give me someone who's never been blessed by a father. I've been in services, you've been in services, you've seen it. You've seen grown men break down and weep because they never had a father say, son, I bless you. It is a powerful transaction in the spirit that manifests itself in the natural. That was given to us in the kingdom. And it was also given away. It was lost. It was damaged. Are we together? Number four, Genesis chapter two. I wish somebody would just get excited because this is, this, is, we're, this is good, good, good stuff. If you could get this, it'll change your life. Genesis chapter two, look at me, verse one. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all of their vast array. And by the seventh day, God finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, look at this, he rested. He rested. You know what else was given to us in the kingdom of God? Rest. You know what was taken away? rest. You know why it is that you always feel like you're that hamster on that wheel? Because you're not walking in the divine provision that is available in the kingdom of God by way of what Jesus released in the way of rest. I'm not talking about checking out and watching Food Network all day. I'm not talking about sitting there and watching Netflix all day. That's not rest. That is not rest. Rest is that thing that enters into the depths of your soul that causes you to cease from striving. Here's what I understand. I understand that if I work, I could work every minute, every second of every hour of every day and still when I'm not operating in the rest of God, feel unsatisfied, feel incomplete, feel insecure, feel like I've not done enough, feel like I've not produced enough, feel like I've not worked or earned my way enough. That is what happens when we don't operate in the rest, the peace, the shalom, the wholeness, the wellness, the soundness of God inside of us. Rest is available in the kingdom of God. Number five, Genesis chapter two. Look with me at verse, at verse seven. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Two types of life, we've talked about this before. There is a physical natural life, there is a spiritual life and when God breathed, the Hebrew word is ruah, the Greek word is pneuma, okay? When he breathed, he released Life inside of us, a bios life, the life that allows every biological thing from plants to animals to humans to live, but he also released a ruah, the spirit that sets us apart from every other living creature, the thing inside of us that allows us to communicate and to connect with God, spirit to spirit. John 4.21 and 4.24 says God is spirit, and those that worship him, those that interact with him, they gotta do it by the spirit. Are, are, are we together? So, in the kingdom of God, God releases life. Say life. Fullness of life. Okay, overflowing, abundant, overwhelming life. I'm kind of on this little thing in my own life, in my own, in my own way that I look at life. And I'm like, there is something that is so attractive about someone who is completely living in the Zoe life of God. I mean, you watch someone who's doing something that they're, that they're born to do and they love it. There is something that is so attractive about that. Saved or unsaved. Saved or unsaved. You watch and you pick, you pick your favorite athlete. You watch them doing something that they are just born to do and you're drawn into it. You watch a musician play an instrument and they just, they just love what they're doing. Oh, y'all gonna laugh at me. So in the wake of everything that was going on with Prince, I, uh, you know, I was just like, well, you know, I just went back and had a little Prince, Christy and I had a little Prince-a-thon, and we went back and, you know, watched a couple of, you know, YouTube videos, and uh, there was a video where he was playing a song with, uh, what's that dude's name? 
No, no, the other guy, the other guy. The, Lenny, 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 Lenny. Lenny Kravitz, American woman. All right, so you're like, don't ever do that again. And here is Prince on his funky guitar. And guys, you, you watch that guy and he was a genius, a genius. And I'll tell you one thing, he wasn't sitting there acting like he had to be up there and he wasn't getting paid enough money and he was all bummed that he, you could not have paid him a penny. And he was up there having the time of his life. What is that? What is that? That's someone who's living, who is enjoying, who is completely taking delight in the way that God had made them. All right, now, now, let's, don't, don't get all religious on me, but you, if you knew Prince's personal life and how, no, no, I'm not talking, that's not the point I'm making. All right? Okay, that's the kingdom of God that was lost. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. Okay? Watch somebody do something that they were born to do, and it's attractive. It's attractive. Okay? Y'all want to, y'all, y'all, y'all like it much more what I preach when I'm happy and I'm enjoying it than when I'm just doing it because I feel like I have to. Ain't no life in that. That kill, the, the letter kills. The letter, the letter of religion kills. Okay, what's the point here? In the kingdom of God, there's life. There is life. There is life. There is life. And Jesus said it like this, there's life abundant. Now, don't, don't, don't get in shame and condemnation here, but I, I have this, this little hunch inside of me. And that is that we as Christians should be because we can be some of the most joyful, some of the most victorious, some of these most overcoming, some of the most peace-filled and peaceful, some of the most, and the things that we do, if we're bagging groceries or scooping up dog poop, we can do it with joy and life. Delighted. She's all like, you laughing at that, ain't you? She thought that was funny. Okay, we can do that with joy and gratitude, like Sidron was saying today. Okay, and let me, let me tell you, it makes a difference. It makes a difference. When you sit down and you're ordering food and your server comes up, don't let them be more grateful and don't let them be more joyful. And for God's sake, give them a good tip. Don't give them those lousy tracks, all right? And don't give them a sorry tip because they didn't do a good job, okay? If you wanna, if you wanna be a Christian, share the gospel by smiling at your server and giving a decent tip. Okay, and if you're at an airport and your flight gets canceled or your flight gets delayed, don't be like all the other grumpy people there that are just angry. Everybody else is angry too. Be different. That's kingdom. That's the kingdom of God. That's the life of God. That is Zoe life coming outside of you. Okay, now that was taken when the kingdom was lost. So I get it. It's a little hard. I get it. We're getting that back, but you can do it. All right, number six, Genesis chapter two. Look at me at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Two things here. The Lord God put the man in the garden. And if I were teaching on a marriage conference, if I were teaching on a dating conference, if I were teaching on the purpose of manhood and womanhood, I would say, listen, every girl out there, don't begin with no man if you ain't got no J-O-B. Because before the Lord gave man a woman, he gave man a job. Work. Work. Like, y'all got to get this. Y'all think that we're going to go to heaven and I'm going to destroy all of that. I'm going to destroy all your heaven paradigms before I'm done. Right? We're going to do that. Right, Jonathan? Come on, let's do it. Let's shatter the heavenly paradigms that we're just like suffering and just trying to make it through this hard world. And then we're going to get to heaven and we're going to do nothing. We're going to watch Netflix, heavenly Netflix, vid angel. We're going to watch, we're going to watch pure flicks, pure flicks in heaven all through eternity. No, that is lame. You know why? Because part of your DNA is to do meaningful, purposeful work that brings glory to God and fulfillment to you. And it's going to happen throughout all of eternity. Heaven is just a stopping, it's just a stopping grounds. Guess what? After it's all said and done with and Jesus does what he needs to do, we're coming back here. Heaven is just, it is a stopping grounds. We're, you're not staying in heaven forever. Sorry, Okay, but what was in the kingdom? In the kingdom was work. Now, hey, okay, I got to pastor you now. Listen, if you're going through a difficult time, you don't have a job right now, 
I know you're, wor- you're, you're, you're working towards it. I'm talking about the people who don't want to work because they just lazy. Okay, now let's keep moving on. All right. In the kingdom of God is meaningful, purposeful work that is designed to bring fulfillment to us as individuals and glory to God as our creator. God is a God who works. He is a God who is at work. Jesus said this in John chapter four, my food is to do the work of him and to finish it. Jesus said in John chapter 17, I have brought you glory on the earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. We can go through scripture after scripture and I can show you that your job is not just something that God has put you in because you were reincarnated into some sorry caste system. Your job is actually a tool that God has allowed for you to display the glory of God and to mature you and to develop you. And when we're in the kingdom of God, we understand that. Now, when the kingdom was lost, that same sense of meaning and purpose and fulfillment were also lost. That's why God says, hey, I'm gonna banish you and listen, the the ground is gonna be cursed that you work and it's gonna produce snares and toil and you're gonna labor and it's gonna be hard. What is that? It is the curse of the kingdom that has been lost, all right? And that's why, that's why, listen, Before the kingdom was lost, Adam was doing, listen, he was naming all the animals. He was stewarding and tending and taking care of all of those animals. He was grooming them. He was cleaning them. He was cleaning up after them. He was doing all this and he was completely fulfilled because his work had such incredible meaning and purpose and it was taken from him. He gave it away. See, when we're not operating in the kingdom, the highest sense of fulfillment that you have is just getting more money or trying to make up for some substitute of lost identity. Look at me, dad, I told you, you need to tell me I'd never mount to that, I'll show you. That's not fulfilling. That is slavery, that is bondage. All right, here's the next thing that was taken. Look at Genesis chapter three. For those of you guys who don't know the story, you've got to read Genesis one, two, and three. If you don't do nothing else in your entire life, don't you just love these like extreme statements I make? (laughs) Read Genesis chapter one, two, and three. In chapter one and chapter two, God creates. And in chapter three, it is the story of where it it was stolen. It was given away. Genesis chapter three, we'll just begin in verse one. Now the serpent who was the devil, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat? I wish I could do that snake from the jungle book. I would do that, that right here, right here. This, insert that sound. And if you've not seen the jungle book, it's awesome. You ought to watch it. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse six, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it, she ate it, she gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Watch this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. Now, in the kingdom of God, there is innocence and there's purity. There's purity. All this stuff that's going on right now in all of your Facebook feeds and you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's because innocence and purity and dignity and biblical sexuality were stolen. They were marred. They were destroyed. They were tampered with. I have no doubt in my mind, I have no doubt that there are people, real people, real people that have the original image of God stamped into them that are wrestling and struggling with very real urges and very real confusions. I have no doubt about that. Do you know why? Because of the doctrine of sin. 
the doctrine of sin. That is what this is. And it don't matter how many bathrooms we create, y'all, y'all, it will not deal with sin. All that is is a Band-Aid at best. We are dealing with something that was lost, damaged, destroyed, ruined, marred, purity, innocence, sexuality in a healthy manner created in the image of God. By the purposes of divine covenant, it was all marred and destroyed right there in that moment. Perversion, molestation, incest, rape, homosexuality, abuse, all those things, and we can name them all for what they are. They are a result of the kingdom of God being given away and the result of the enemy, Satan, Lucifer, the devil, ruling in his kingdom in this world. That's why. That's what it is. In the kingdom of God, under the lordship of Jesus, healthy, healthy sexuality. Adam and Eve were naked and there was not an impure, lustful thought that was transacting between the both of them because it was beautiful and it was pure and it was sanctioned and it was covered. All right, let's keep going. Number five, look at this. So isn't it interesting that Adam and Eve had relationship with God, were walking with God in the cool of the garden every day in the moment that they handed the kingdom of God over, the moment that they defected, the moment that they went from Captain America's team over to Iron Man's team, the moment that Red Rover, Red Rover, send Adam and Eve right over, okay? The moment that they switched sides, the moment that happened, their security, in their relationship with God, gone. You know what you have when you're operating in the kingdom of God? I don't even know what number I'm on. Thank you. Eight? No, no, it's, it's five in my notes. Y'all just started adding numbers in there. Oh, no, no, you're right, it is eight. Oh my goodness, well, okay. You have security. Security, confidence. Confidence, security is in the kingdom of God. You know what happens when you defect? Insecurity. You know, the greatest way to describe what an orphan experiences and lives with and walks in, spiritually speaking, is insecurity. Why are you always trying to bow up? Why are you always trying to act like you're the funniest person in the room? Why are you always trying to front? Why are you always trying to act like you gotta get respect? Why are you doing all that? Because deep, 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 deep down inside, you're so grossly insecure. Here's why I know that. Because if your security is in anything else outside of who you are as a deeply beloved son or daughter of God, it is called insecurity. It don't matter how much money you make. It don't matter what position title you have. It don't matter how good you look. Why, why is it that the most beautiful men in the world, they'll still get beat up by a man? Why is that? Why is that? Why is it if how good you look is really sufficient for your security? You know why that is? Because it's not. It's not. We lost that deep sense of security. And you know what's powerful? You wanna be powerful? You know what's powerful? Security is powerful. Security. That immovable, unshakable security that says, even if I just, just slaughter it and mess it all up and fall flat on my face, I know that I have incredible value and worth in the eyes of God and he cheers me on. I'm his deeply beloved and nothing will ever move that, ever, ever, ever. But it was lost. It was given away. Man, we, those guys really botched it up, didn't they? We had a lot of incredible things in the kingdom. We had security. We had fullness of life. We had the image of God. We had blessing. We had authority. We had rest. We have purity. Look at this. Number nine. We had right standing. Right standing relationally with God. Right standing. You know what right standing is, right? You know, you know what right standing is? You know it when you don't have it. You know what right standing is when there's that somebody, whether it be a wife or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a husband or a son or a daughter or a mother, a father, a boss, a coach, a parent, a teacher, it doesn't matter, that you're in right standing with, everything's good, everything's clean. You can interact, you don't feel like there's anything being hidden, everything is confident. And then maybe you owe somebody money and forgot to pay them and every time you see them, you're like, and you avoid 
because there's fear and you're awkward and you're, you know what all that is? That's called, you don't have right standing. But you know what? We have right standing in the kingdom. That's why in Hebrews chapter four, it says you can go into the very throne room of God boldly. You know what, guys, listen, even if, you, even if you sin, like just blatant sin out of this room, when you understand what is available in the kingdom, you can just stomp right up there into the very throne room of God and know God wants me here. He wants me here. He wants me here. Boldly, you can come before the throne. Let me just ask you just, just a question. You don't, even, you, have to, you don't even have to raise your hand. But if I were to ask you right now, do you feel like you could go before the very throne room of God? This is a very real literal thing. We're not talking about fairy tales. The very literal throne of God and stand in his presence with absolute security and confidence and have a conversation with him and not be thinking about the thousand things that you've done to disqualify yourself from being there. And if you can't, then friend, I wanna encourage you to consider that there is something that is operating inside of you that doesn't quite understand who Christ is, what he has done, and the incredible price he's paid to remove that debt from your shoulders so that you can operate in the kingdom with confidence. Here's the next thing that we had in the kingdom. We had intimacy, intimate fellowship with God, and it was taken from us. It was given away. We left that. We walked away from that. We walked away from that. Listen, I've had times with my wife that have been just some of the most amazing, fun times. Relationally, all the pistons are firing. Communication-wise, man, we're hitting. And I've had times when I haven't. And I promise to God, I would rather live over here. (laughs) I would much rather live when everything is firing on all cylinders and intimacy is operating. I don't know what number I'm on, but I'm just gonna keep going. Uh, Freedom, freedom. In the kingdom of God, there is freedom, there is liberty. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. No bondage, no addiction, no guilt, no shame, no fear. Free, free, free. He whom, who the sun sets free is free. Free in his spirit, free in his soul, free in their emotions, free. There is just this amazing liberty that comes in the kingdom of God, but we walked away from it. In the kingdom of darkness, what is there? Bondage, slavery, 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 slavery. Slaves have no rights. Slaves are not free. Slaves get no privileges. There is no joy in slavery. No matter how you dress it up, no matter how you dress it up, no matter what amenities you put on the farm, you still a slave. In the kingdom of darkness, is slavery, mental slavery, sexual slavery, a a, a substance slavery, slavery to ideas, guys. Listen, you you know what's happening right now in the culture? We are dealing with the ideology of the kingdom of darkness that puts people in slavery, bondage. And we can try to change the word so it doesn't feel as painful as it is, don't do that. Don't do that. That is, the, that is the enemy's tactic. We'll just keep changing the words so that you think that you're actually empowered, but you a slave in the kingdom of darkness. All right, last one, health. Health in the kingdom of God. Health in your body free from sickness and disease and ailment, health in your soul, soundness, wholeness, life, strength, health in your mind. Health is a result of the kingdom of God. And we walked away from it. Now listen, I mean, we're getting into some really, really tough things here and, and, and I can't explain. I can't explain why, why genocide happens and I can't explain why people are born in certain ways and I can't explain why tragedies and crisis happen. But here's what I know. I know this, that when we, when we gave away the kingdom, we invited disease, we invited sickness, we invited death, we welcomed it because that is the culture of the kingdom that we invited to the earth.
So all of those things that I just mentioned today, all of those things we had in fullness and we gave it all away. All of it we gave away. And the next time that we get together, I'm gonna systematically walk through each of these things and I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna show you that that which we had in fullness and that which we gave away in its entirety, that when Christ came to begin the inauguration of the kingdom, we have now begun the process of those things being restored back to our lives. The process, the process, guys. And here's why I say that, because every single one of those things that I just mentioned, those 20 or 12 or eight or however you're numbering things, all of those things, they are not happening in their fullness right now. I wish they were. I wish the image of God was operating in its fullness and purity was operating in its fullness and health was operating in its fullness. And I've heard things preached and maybe I've even preached things myself that says everything that's available in the kingdom has been completely restored. That's not true. It's not true. It has begun. It has begun and it will be completely fulfilled when Christ restores all things, including our salvation and the kingdom at large. But here's the beautiful thing. All those things that I just mentioned, you know why life in this world matters? Because now we begin the process of bringing those things back and restoring them into the earth and it is a fight. But guess what? Because of the inauguration of the kingdom, through Christ's death and resurrection, you have been restored to a place of authority where you have the legal permission to access heavenly power to begin restoring all of these things and more. Guys, I just scratched three chapters. All of those things. Let's stand to our feet this morning.